0: To share a little bit uh, about Jesus with you, um, and, and a, it's a pleasure because uh, my mom is here. Is she back there? Hi, mom. Um, I, I told her I tried to make her cry, right? So uh, it's a pleasure because um, church. I wasn't I wasn't raised in a church, right? Like nobody dedicated me when I was a baby. Um, in, in fact, I had a pretty rough childhood, and uh, my mom, in the middle of that, uh, she actually got sent to prison. And when she was in prison. Jesus called to her, and, and she listened to his voice, and she responded well, and, and then she came out of prison, and she uh, talked to us, her boys, about Jesus, right? And because she did, and because she continued to witness well throughout her whole life, I get to stand up here and have a new life in Jesus, and I got to hear about him, right? And, and so um, that's just awesome, okay? Uh, if, if you have a parent, someone who, who, who has been witnessing to you, telling you about Jesus, say thanks every once in a while, okay? Uh, you, you should really uh, do that. So um, like I said, my name, my name is Jake, and, and I'm an elder here. I'll give you just a bit of background about myself, in case you don't know me. Uh, my day job, I work on campus at UC Davis, and I run a variety of programs that bring international students and scholars to our campus, here for a short term, and then usually going back home. Um, and uh, I came to UC Davis years ago to get my degree, uh, actually, in religious studies, kind of a small department, but that's why I came here. Before that, was in a very small town called Susanville, and... Uh You know, like I said, my mom, uh, thanks to her, I'd been uh, converted, came to know Jesus at a young age. So I had gotten pretty involved in in Bible study in church when I was in high school. I came to Davis, and and right away when I did, uh, I I thought, shoot, I've got to get involved in a fellowship. So probably like many of you, anybody in a college fellowship? right? Okay, come on now. Okay, <laughs> right. Uh, so that was a great experience in my life. I got really involved in fellowship. I started to learn a lot about Jesus. Uh, after graduating, um, I, I stayed in uh, in fellowship. I started working uh, in in campus missions uh, right away, and I just really threw myself into pursuing and, and understanding Jesus, and it was awesome. I loved it. Right. Uh, and and then something happened to me. And and when it happened, I, I thought to myself, "Gosh, I." thought that I knew uh, the good news of Jesus, the gospel before, but now I'm not so sure, right? I thought I got it, uh, but then I realized I I actually don't think that I I got it very much. Um, And I'm going to tell you about that and we're going to talk about it today, but before we do, let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for the chance that we have to study your word. God, I pray as we read today and we talk about you, That we would all, Lord, each of us, learn something that we don't yet know about you. That there would be some illumination, some revelation, or some insight would come. and, And because of that, we would be able to see you more clearly, to trust you more fully, and to love you more wholeheartedly. God, I pray that we would each have a spirit of honesty in our lives today, that we would admit our need for you, and that we would trust you, that you will come and that you will help us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So what is the gospel? Uh, We've been talking about this for several weeks. Um, We've been defining it. I would know that the gospel means good news, right? That it's the proclamation of the good news of Jesus. And we've laid it out over the last few weeks in four parts. Uh, Part one being God, right? God, the creator of all things, perfectly holy, worthy of our worship. God who will punish sin, Man, mankind being uh, originally created good. All people having become sinful and separate by nature from God and now from birth were separate, alienated from God, objects of his wrath. Christ, Jesus, the God-man, the one who was fully God and fully man who came down and saved us, redeemed us so that all who would believe in him could know eternal life and response that God calls everyone. Everywhere to repent of their sins and to trust in God in order to be saved. So as I mentioned before, I knew this, right? I, I got it. I'd been in church. I'd been in Bible study. I got it. I, I, I felt like I was on top of my Christian game. And then something happened, right? And and what happened? I think I have a picture. I got married. Okay, and there's nothing like getting married and, and living with someone else and seeing two lives come together that will throw all of your great theological education and your great understanding of Jesus out the window, right? Uh, it just really demolished my whole understanding. And so, uh, so I started to realize that um, I didn't quite have what it takes, right? I started to realize that um, I, I couldn't quite do it. I wasn't stri- quite strong enough. to to figure out how to be married, and and I needed help. And then God, in his grace, gave me a couple of words. And and he gave me some words, not uh, about how he would fix me, but about um, how he had answered my need. Okay, so I told you that I work with international students, right, so I work a lot with people who are doing second language acquisition, uh, and, and so I was in this workshop, and we were talking about people um, learning a second language. Does anybody speak a second language? A few of you, right? Where's Hans? I see your hand. Thank you, right? So some of us do, some of us don't, but one of the things that you learn when you're trying to learn a second language or you're working with someone who's learning English for the first time is that they get to a certain point in their language acquisition, and then they sort of plateau. They stop, and, and they seem to really struggle in going into that next step of fluency, of really understanding and getting this new language, right? And, and so why do we do that? I mean, all sorts of reasons. Maybe people don't practice enough, right? All, all types of reasons, but the one that stood out to me most in this workshop was, uh, was this. It's a quote, and I'll, I'll read it to you. A word, they said, can open up understanding, and feeling. Language gives you access, not just to another culture, but to another world of ideas, ways of being that you hadn't yet considered. So anybody who speaks a second language knows that this is true, right? That there are some words in in one language that might better describe your emotions and some words in another language that might better fit a technical term as you're working on a machine, okay? So we know this about about language. So why am I telling you this about language? Well, to go back to this moment when I was married when when I felt like I was relearning the gospel, the good news all over again. It was it was like I was hearing it for the first time. And and what was really going on was that I was learning some new words and through it a whole new way of thinking about the good news of Jesus. And I want to share those words with you today. So we're going to be looking in the book of Hebrews. It's a New Testament book. We're going to be uh, starting in in chapter 9. But if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, go ahead and raise your hands. Our ushers will find you. They'll grab a Bible for you. um, And we'd love to have you keep that Bible. It'll be our gift to you while you're here. The page numbers for the Bible that we're reading will be up here. And we want you to have the whole Bible in front of you, right? Because uh, it's um, only—I don't want you just to trust what I'm saying. I want you to trust what Jesus says. Through his word. So that's why we go back again and again to his word. So let's look together at Hebrews 9. I think that most people avoid the book of Hebrews probably because its culture is pretty different than our own. The words that they use don't make a lot of sense to us anymore. So if that's how you're feeling when you're, you're reading this, that's okay. That's how I usually feel too, so don't, don't feel bad about it. Uh, we're going to read chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. But when Christ appeared... As a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of Goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So our first word buried in there is redemption. Redemption. Uh, what a good word this is, redemption, right? Even if you don't know what it means, you think you, you might like it, because if you drink soda or anything, right, it's got a redemption value on it, it's worth a nickel, and you're like, hey, okay, this is a positive word, right? Um, what, what does it mean? Uh, if you've been in church before, you've definitely heard this word. Uh, maybe you've, you've known the kind of older guy in the back who would like to walk up to you and shake your hand and say, isn't it good to be redeemed, brother? And you would go, yes, I think. What are you talking about, right? Uh, so we know it has this generally good connotation, but maybe we have no idea what it, what it really means. This is, this is where I was. So I would read uh, like this in Hebrews, and I would sort of nod along, and I would think, that sounds good, and I'd wait till I got to some section of Scripture that made more sense, uh, figuring that I could just sort of pass over this one, okay? Um, so while I was here, in this ignorance of mine, God began to speak, and he began to reveal to me that redemption actually meant a lot more than I thought, that it was actually much, much, much better than just a nickel, right, for your Coke bottle. It was much better than that. Um, the author of the book of Hebrews who wrote this book, he uh, was, was, a Jew, was a Jew, he was Jewish, right? Uh, the, the people who would have been reading that book or hearing it for the first time were Jewish, and, and so these were people who were raised uh, with certain holidays and certain traditions. They were raised with stories um, taught to them again and again and again. Just like I might read Anna, uh, it was the night before Christmas, right? And so she'll know that poem. Uh, these, were, these were people who had been read the story of the Exodus, or God saving his people out of Egypt their whole lives. So when they heard this word redemption, they would have heard it with the whole story of the Exodus in their mind. Now, if you're new and you don't quite know what the Exodus was, I'll give you the kind of short version, okay? Uh, The Israelites, who were the people of God, they had been uh, made slaves. They had been living in Egypt, they'd been made slaves, and then uh, the Pharaoh or king of Egypt was just oppressing them. He was brutally oppressing them. So they were groaning, they were crying out, they were saying, God, would you come? Would you save us? Would you redeem us, right? And God sent a man, his name was Moses, and Moses came and God spoke to him. And God said to him in in Exodus uh, chapter 6, verse 6, he said this. He said, Moses, therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And then God went and he did just that. When God redeemed the people of Israel, uh, he didn't walk up to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, I'll pay you five bucks for your people, right? He didn't say, let's have a bargain. Uh, God walked up to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go and do it now. And Pharaoh said no. He thought he could bargain. And God won. He won every time, okay? God absolutely, powerfully destroyed Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army, and he released his people, so this is the image and this is the story that would have been in the minds of the people hearing this book of Hebrews, right? When they heard redemption, they would have heard God coming in and destroying the slave master. And then in Hebrews, we read that this, this redemption is eternal. It wasn't a one-time thing like happened in Exodus, but it's something that happened and that would be ongoing and would last forever. Okay, this is an incredibly exciting kind of redemption, right? This is a kind of redemption that we can look at and say, man, I, I want that, right? This sounds pretty good. Now, there I was, newly, newly married, and uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling like, gosh, um, because I'm redeemed, maybe I could admit sometimes that I feel a little bit like a slave, right? Maybe I could admit sometimes that I've, I've got chains and that things hold me down. Maybe I can start to be honest because I know that Jesus is a great redeemer who's going to set me free. So I'm, I'm grappling with that. I'm understanding that Jesus set me free, and this has to do with my salvation. And I'm, I'm feeling like, okay, this is pretty good, right? I'm there. And, and then I stumble upon another verse. And, and this verse uh, in First Peter would become and, and is now what, what I call my life's verse. This is from First Peter chapter 1, and it's verses 17 and 18. I think the page number is, is up there. I'd like to, to read it to you. The book of 1 Peter was written, just so you know, to encourage Christians uh, to live faithful lives to Jesus in the midst of really trying times. So Paul, uh, So Peter speaks to these people and he encourages them like this. He says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So he's speaking to Christians. He's saying, if you believe in Jesus, if you call on God as Father, then this, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I said that Peter wrote this to encourage people to be faithful, right? So so how does he encourage people to be faithful? Does he just look at them and say, okay, you got this. You can do it. Try harder next time. Sorry, you messed up. You're almost there. Just keep going. Does he do that? No, right? The exact opposite. What Peter does, first he reminds them of who they were, okay? Who we were, who we are. He says this. He says that they're stuck, stuck to remain persistently or permanently transfixed, unable to be moved. He says that they're empty, destitute, hollow, having none of the appropriate contents, and futile, ineffective, useless, frivolous, unimportant. It's kind of harsh, right? Now, personally, this hits home for me, guys, and it, it hits home for me because if you look at my family in, in the back, you might not guess that I had been handed down an empty and, and futile way of life from my dad. You might not, that might not be your first impression, uh, but, but that's true, okay? Um, my dad was an alcoholic. He was a drug abuser. He was angry. He was violent. He, he beat my mom. He beat my brother. He did this in front of us. He, he remained sinfully proud and unrepentant his whole life. That was the life that I had been handed down. That's the hand that I had been dealt. That's what I had been given. I spent most of my life as a Christian uh, unknowingly defining myself against my dad saying that, well, my dad was like this, so I'm going to be like this. My dad was a bad guy. I'm going to be a good guy. My dad left his family. I'll never leave mine. My dad had all these public problems. I'll have private ones. No one sees, right? I'll hide. My dad was so open about his anger. Well, I'll hide all my anger. You'll never know, ever, if I'm angry, right? I I decided I would be the anti-my dad. So every time that I struggled, every time I came up short, every time that uh, I did something wrong, I, I would just hide. I just hid it. I just didn't tell anyone. I just figured maybe it would go away. I, I just thought, oh, okay, it's, it's not worth it, and I just hid it away. Without knowing it, I was a slave to my dad and to the empty, futile way of life that had been handed down to me By my forefathers, I was a slave. So maybe you connect with this, right? And and maybe you're like, yeah, actually, I get it. I I feel a little bit like I'm a slave to my family upbringing too. I hear that. I know it. Or, Or maybe your slavery in your life has looked different. Maybe for you, you feel like you're a slave to your socioeconomic class and the expectations of success that are carried by that class. Maybe you feel like you're a slave to your personality oh, I'm just angry, I've got a short fuse, okay? Maybe you feel like you're a slave to an injury. You are victimized, and you can't quite get past it. Peter is communicating that just like the Israelites, we are also slaves. And then... Then, once we've acknowledged that, once we've grappled with who we are, Peter launches into what Christ has done for us, okay? And he uses these words. He says that we have been ransomed, our word redemption. He says that we have been ransomed, the redemption of a prisoner, freed, restored, okay? And that this occurs through the precious blood of Christ, precious Meaning that it's costly, it's dear, it's beloved, it's highly esteemed, and of great value. So, the good news of the gospel here that I, I began to grasp, I began to understand, and I want you to understand is that we don't have to be a slave to our family upbringing anymore, okay? We don't have to be slaves anymore. You don't have to be a slave to your personality. You don't have to be a slave to your socioeconomic class, to the expectations of your peers. You do not have to be a slave. Instead, we can be transformed. We can be made new. We can be redeemed, brought from slavery into wonderful freedom, and brought there through the precious blood of Christ. So this is pretty awesome, right? I mean, I know we're not super expressive, okay? But but this is pretty good news, okay? Right, we want to be redeemed, okay? Right, This you should be excited, okay? This is what we want, right? We want to be set free. We want this. So how do we get there? Do we just try harder? No, we don't just try harder. We look to Jesus. Jesus is, Peter declares, our transformer, the one who by his costly shed blood on our behalf redeems us and makes us new. We don't purchase it. We don't make a trade. We don't come to Jesus and say, make me new and I'll serve you really hard the rest of my life. There's no trading. Remember, there's no bargaining with God. We come to Jesus. We say, please make me new. And he makes us new. And it doesn't cost us anything. In fact, it costs Jesus everything. So Maybe you feel a little bit like I did when I started to get this. Um, when when I started to understand this, I immediately rejected it, and I said, "I don't want anything to do with this." And I said, "I don't want anything to do with this because I don't want to be the powerless one. I don't want to be a slave. I'm not a slave. I've worked really hard to overcome where I came from. Okay, I've worked really hard to get here. How dare you say that I'm a slave? I'm not." I didn't want to admit weakness. I didn't want to say I needed help. I didn't want to do any of those things. But Jesus didn't stop talking to me. He kept calling. He kept saying, go ahead, admit it, Jake. It's all right. You can admit weakness. You can admit it. You can admit that you're still stuck. You can admit it. It's scary to do that. It's very frightening to admit weakness, especially here Davis, especially here, it's very scary to say that you don't have it all together. This whole town thinks that it is the definition of all together. I live here, I bought a house here, I can say it, right? It's true, okay? Uh, I felt like I had to pass an interview just to get the chance to even qualify for a loan to live here. Um, Anyway, so that's what we are. We're the all together place. We don't admit our weakness, right? We don't. But we can because of Jesus, we can, and we need to. Uh, and as I began to, to say this, I could finally start to say, look, I'm, I'm messed up, I've got a lot of problems, and I don't think I'll ever really get it, get it right. I could look in that moment at my wife, and I could say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry, honey. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I'm proud. I'm so sorry that I keep getting it wrong. I'm so sorry that I pretend that you're the lucky one that got to marry me when, when we all know it's the other way around. Okay, I could start to say, I'm sorry, because I knew that Jesus had redeemed me, and I knew that my redemption is eternal, that it's not going to stop. So I can't, I can't say I'm sorry, and then one time he's going to stop redeeming me. Okay, he's going to just keep doing it. It's an eternal redemption. I can say, I was like this. Now, I'm like this. Anything good you see here is because of Jesus, Anything you see that's good in me is because Jesus has done it. Jesus has done a great work, and you can start to trust him too. I don't have to define myself against my dad. I don't define myself against my dad anymore, you guys. I define myself uh, by Jesus and what Jesus has done, okay? And, And that's what we want to do. That's why we're here learning about Jesus. I don't have to struggle on the inside with a crippling insecurity, wondering if people are going to see through me and see, right, because I've already been honest with Jesus. I already know that somebody sees me and that I can admit my weakness. I can talk about how I was a slave and because, and now I'm free and that I was, I was freed by the precious, costly blood of Jesus. So what does that mean for you guys? What does redemption mean to you? What would it mean for you to accept that you had been redeemed, that you had been a slave and that now you're free? What would it mean for you to start talking about weakness, to accept your weaknesses and to accept that Jesus is a great, awesome, powerful God who set you free, destroyed the things that keep you a slave and made you free? What would it mean for you to do that, church? I said that there were two words that uh, I was beginning to understand at the same time, so I should teach you the second one. OK? Uh, the second word is even a little bit weirder than redemption. Can we, huh? I like this. Expiation. OK? Who's ever used that word in a sentence? <laughs> Nobody. Uh, expiation. And it's even better definition. Anytime you define a word, with the word, you know that you're in trouble, okay? And if you define it with other words that you've never used in a sentence, then you're in really big trouble. That's how I was when I would hear this word or see this word, expiation. I'll just read it just because it's fun. The act of expiating, that's fun to say, right? Uh, Making amends, atoning, the means by which atonement or reparation is made. This is just a great definition, super helpful. I should just end there, you guys got it right? No, okay, I didn't think so. I didn't get it, okay? I, 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 I for years, like I said, I, I went to Davis. I got a degree in religious studies. I had no idea what this word meant. If you don't get it, it's okay, right? Um, I would just skim, skim through, and, and I would get the gist of it, and then I would move on, and I'd figure, I don't know, just like when I'm speaking, you know, Portuguese, my second language, I get the idea from the context. I'll probably get the idea from the context, so I, I picked up some clues about this word, um, and, and generally, when I'd hear it talked about, I, I, I thought it might have something to do with being dirty or getting clean, but that was pretty much my, my understanding. Um, let's turn back to the book of Hebrews to chapter 10, pages 9, uh, page, the page number's up there, sorry, but verses 19 through 22. It says this Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, So here in Hebrews, we see again this language about cleansing, right? Uh, how cleansing sets us free. We see clean hearts, clean minds, clean bodies. And cleansing we get is accomplished through the blood of Jesus. But uh, maybe again, you're like me, I would read that and not really get it. I didn't have an idea what I was, I was reading. So again, um, go back with me, I'm newly Married, I have no idea how to be a husband. I have no idea how to be a godly man. And yet I'm too terrified to admit it or tell anybody because I've been in church for so long. I should have had it figured out by now. I'm just too scared to say anything. And so I didn't want to talk about my challenges with anger. I didn't want to tell anybody about how I judged everyone all the time. I didn't want to talk about how I could get so mad at my wife and I could be so rude to her that she would cry and I would walk away and not care. I do not even care, right? I didn't want to tell anybody that, okay? Again, because I'd learned to hide that stuff, right? Learned to hide it, and so I was going to hide it. I didn't want to talk about it, but um, God, and I had this phrase I would use in my head. I would say, well, I'm doing a lot better than my dad, so I guess I'm okay. It's just kind of twisted, right? I mean, it's a little sick, but that's what was in my head, okay? So um, inside, I would say that, but I knew that deep down, uh, I was really ashamed. I, I felt dirty. I felt ashamed of what I did. I, I felt like I wished that it could be different. Um, all of these things that, that my dad had done, I felt, I felt dirty. All of these things that I had done, I felt dirty, right? And I didn't know. Um, I didn't know it. But these things, these sins, had left a stain on me. And so here again, in his mercy, God began to speak into my ignorance, and he began teaching me about expiation. He began teaching me that sin, sin that we commit and sins that are committed against us, sin leaves stains on our souls. Stain, a cause of reproach, a stigma, a blemish, a discoloration, not easily removed. And it was this sin stain that was making me feel dirty. And I began to learn that on the cross, didn't, Jesus didn't just uh, forgive me and set me free into the future. Jesus actually came down and cleansed me. He made me clean. The terrible stain of sin that I had carried, he cleansed. He revealed that in him, I was free of the stain of abuse. I was free of the stigma of being a, 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 a fatherless child. The shame of being abandoned. In him I was free, right? He showed me that on the cross when he atoned for me, he also provided a way for expiation of cleansing me. And in doing this, he began to show me and I began to learn that I didn't have to put on these masks that I had been putting on. The good Jake, right? The happy-go-lucky Jake, the guy who had no problems, the anti-dad Jake mask that I wore so well, I could take it off. I had been afraid to take it off because I knew underneath I was dirty. And I didn't want anyone to see. But what Jesus did on the cross is cleanse us. So underneath, when we take the mask off, we're not dirty. Thank you. Right, We're not dirty anymore. There's no dirt under there anymore. Because of what he's done. So, again, I make it sound like this was an easy process. You could ask my wife after church. <laughs> this is not an easy process of me learning about this stuff, right? It's not easy. Uh, Martin Luther, who was a great uh, church reformer and theologian, he said that we are all simultaneously sinner and saint. Okay, and I think that my life bears this true. Um, but God is faithful. He has cleansed me, and I know that he will cleanse me again. Again, what about you? What would it mean for you to learn about expiation? What would it mean if you believed that Jesus on the cross, when he died and he saved you, that he also cleansed away your deepest stains? The stain of sin that had been committed against you, the stain of sin that you yourself had committed. What if you believed, you really believed the truth that he cleansed you? How would that affect your life? What would that do? I'd like to invite my friend Alice to come on stage. Alice is going to share with us a little bit about what it's been meaning for her as God has been teaching her about these same words. Hi, Alice. How you doing? A little nervous? A little bit. You're doing great. Isn't she already doing great? Yeah. That's right. Can
1: you hear me? Is this on? Is this working? Okay. So, um, as Jake said, I'm Alice, and I'm starting my third year here as a graduate student in nutrition, and I wanted to share a little piece of my testimony with you. Um, I'm inspired to do this because it really breaks my heart to see a lot of Christians today walking in darkness and shame for their sin. We are all sinners in need of a Savior, and as we've been learning in this series, that Savior doesn't want us to wear those masks and pretend to be good people, He wants us to build authentic relationships with each other so i'm here to share about how he helped me to see why being vulnerable with each other is worth it so my path to salvation was also winding and (laughs) well i'll share i'll spare the details of that for today the short version is that no one in my family is a believer and my sporadic church experiences were riddled with misinformation i basically saw two types of people when i looked at the church Um, The first was people who proclaimed Christ, but ultimately did very hateful acts to others um, in the name of Jesus. And the second one was people who never did anything wrong. And looking back, I know now that those people were scared. Um, And they were hiding what was really happening in their lives. I also realized that I fit into both of those categories at various times in my life. So a little bit more about my life. Um, Growing up, my parents instilled a lot of self-confidence in me and my sister, I was pretty likable, and I had a lot of friends. And I'm mentioning this because I've noticed that often the sins we struggle with most are things we're effortlessly good at, and often are even things supported by culture. I mean, it's good to be liked, right? That's how you get ahead. Um, But I became really good at getting people to like me. And it worked worked especially well with men. Um, I jokingly calculated it once that between the ages of 14 and 22, I had spent over 80% of my life in dating or pseudo-dating relationships and really finding my identity in um, in men approving of me. And, I mean, I'm not against dating at all, but I can say in my own life it didn't leave a lot of room for getting to know who Christ was. In college, though, one man in particular became the closest to my heart, and spoiler alert, it was not Jesus, (laughs) um, this man was not a Christian, um, so I told him that we couldn't officially date but over a year we became incredibly close and we started a complicated relationship just without the dating title. We made promises to be friends forever and we confessed our love for one another. Also around the time I met him, um, as God has very good timing, <laughs> I started going to a church that valued community groups and the people in mine were really good at, about talking about their lives openly Um, And I really liked that, but when they would ask me about my life and this guy I spent all my time with, I would really downplay our relationship and just say that he was my cycling buddy or my friend from class. And, you know, I mean, some people saw past that and they tried to tell me it was a bad idea to be so close to him, but I really just was defensive and I thought they just didn't get it. Like, I was like, you just don't, you don't understand the connection we shared. You don't understand how good we are together. Um, And so this went on for about a year and... Um, at that time, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety, which I attributed to um, the pressure to succeed in my degree program. But my community group leader suggested I join an intensive ministry called Redemption Groups. Redemption, <laughs> appropriately <a> named. <laughs> um, and we journeyed through the story of Exodus, as Jacob mentioned, to better understand the redemptive power of Christ in our lives today. I was put in a group of six other women, and the explicit goal was to share our lives, be vulnerable and authentic and just spill our guts and, I mean, looking back, I can't really remember why I agreed to that at the time, but it, it turned out to be a really good thing, as you'll see. Um, so over the eight weeks of meeting, I genuinely shared life with the women in this in this group, these strangers, and their stories of redemption were incredible. One woman had been addicted to cocaine when she had her first daughter and was still working on reconciliation 18 years later. Another one was trying to figure out how to forgive her own mother for a similar drug addiction. But all of them loved Jesus so much. I mean, their lives were a mess, but they trusted him as Redeemer. Their honesty helped me to see, to be honest with myself and my intentions. And God revealed the depth of evil in my heart in many, many ways, some of which were unexpected, but not surprising in this story. The most significant one was my heart's desire to please people. And toward the end of the ministry, once I started telling the women about my supposed bestie, <laughs> I realized what I had convinced myself was love, was actually a heartbreaking misrepresentation of Christ. My relationship with this man was a vivid manifestation of my people-pleasing idol, and we were using each other for our own selfish ambitions. Mm -hmm. At this point, I was terrified of losing him, but I was also terrified of continuing in the relationship because I knew it was hindering my relationship with God. Um, At the end of the eight weeks was a celebration night where friends and family could come, and participants would stand up on stage, And they would either share their story or read a psalm they had written about their experience in the group. And when my leader asked for volunteers, I thought, like, yeah, I could share my psalm. Like, it's pretty vague, and I'll feel good about myself for standing up there and telling people what's happening. And so I agreed, and the night of the event, my leader asked me if I would consider sharing my story rather than my psalm. And I thought about all the people in that room. I thought about my close friends who knew God and my close friends who didn't, and people I looked up to in the room and people I was intimidated by, and I said, no. I said, I'm just going to read my psalm. But the details of the next few minutes are kind of blurry. Um, I do remember praying, and my leader was praying over me too. And I walked out to the middle of the stage with a microphone. And as I'm standing up here right now, I can only imagine how nervous I was then also. Um, And I started talking, and I can't really remember what I said, but I know that it was nothing that I had planned to say. I told everyone in that room about my manipulative heart, and I confessed the lies I'd been telling myself and that man and my friends. I, admitting, I admitted to putting my own desires and, representat- or and reputation above representing Jesus. But I will never forget the feeling when I stopped talking and I turned around to walk off the stage. I remember thinking, there's nothing good in me, I am empty, but then I very tangibly felt God hold me and remind me, you are full of me and I am mm-hmm. good and I have got you, <laughs> and um, <laughs> it should have been really awkward and embarrassing to talk to my friends afterward, but, you know, I didn't feel either of those things. I was humbled, certainly, but I was joyful. Um, so my point, I guess, is the, the risk of judgment by the people in that room was worth it, because I believe that the more empty we are of our own thoughts, desires, and guilt, the more accurately we reflect how truly incredible our Savior is. God used redemption groups to show me that treating my fleshly desires and comfort for the freedom offered to me in Christ is never going to be easy, but it's always going to be worth it. There was a tremendous amount of pain during that time. Similarly, I'm not standing up here to say that it was easy. It was very hard when I finally told that man the truth and accepted the consequences, and when I watched the disappointment on his face as he saw our relationship dissolve. But I hope that that is not the end of the story. God is an expert in making beautiful things out of our messes. (laughs) So I'm very grateful that God used that experience to forever instill this importance of being being vulnerable with our brothers and sisters in Christ. He spoke through those women and helped me to see sin that I was blind to. One of my favorite lines to sing is, Sin was strong, but Jesus is stronger. Our shame is great, but Jesus, you're greater. So no matter what sin or shame we're carrying, Jesus is willing and capable to carry it for us, and so we don't have to hide.
0: Amen. You did great. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. It's awesome. So, so beautiful to hear what Jesus does in our lives, right? Two words we looked at today, church. Two words that aren't just words, but instead gateways, pathways, into whole new ways of, of living, of thinking, of experiencing the gospel words I thought I knew, but I really didn't. Redemption purchased with the precious and costly blood of Jesus to be set free by his death to no longer be a slave. You can be different. There is hope for you. Jesus has set you free if you'll let him radically free. You don't have to impress him. You can stop trying to pretend you've got it all together if you don't, right? You can be real about how you were a slave and how he freed you, and you can give him thanks for this. You aren't the hero of the story. Jesus is the hero of the story, and Jesus is the best. Expiation. To be cleansed from the stain of sin by the precious and costly blood of Jesus washed completely and eternally clean from the blemish and stigma of your own sin and the sins committed against you. Sin, sin that we commit and that's committed against us, it stains us. It naturally leads to shame. And when we feel shame, we have a choice. We can run, we can hide from God and from others. Or we can turn and we can run towards Jesus We can run to God, and we can believe that he is the one who will cleanse us of all shame and who will set us free. So what are we going to do from here? What does a redeemed person look like? What does somebody who understands expiation look like on on a Monday morning? Um, I'd like to move forward in this together. Here's what I think it would look like. I think that it would mean that we are going to be vulnerable with each other i think that it will mean that we are going to ask for help i think that it means that we're going to admit and to accept our weakness it means that we're going to take the mask off on monday when we get to work and we need help we will ask for help without shame on monday when we go to class hasn't started yet but when you get to class and you don't understand and you think, I'm not going to admit it because I don't want to be judged as stupid. Instead, you're going to ask for help. On Monday, when the kids are crying and you're totally overwhelmed and you need help, you're going to ask for help without shame. On Monday, when we mess up and we realize our failures, and and, and we're not going to hide in that moment, but rather we're going to turn to Jesus, we're going to tell him all about it, and we're going to trust that he will keep on redeeming and cleansing us. Throughout this week, when we feel dirty, we will turn to Jesus. Throughout the week, when we start to feel that we're the hero of our own little story, we're going to turn in that moment, and we're going to say, no, 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 Jesus, you are the hero. Jesus, you are the hero of my story, and you are the best hero that I could ever ask for. And throughout the week, whenever we start to see someone around us be honest and be vulnerable, we're going to stop what we're doing and we're going to listen. We will embrace them. We will honor them. We will encourage them the way that Peter would, not by saying, hey, try harder next time. Instead, we will say, I know you messed up. Of course you did. Let's look at Jesus and let's look at what he has done for you and let's talk about how his costly, precious blood has set you free from your slavery and has made you clean and has created a pathway for you forward. That's what we're gonna do on Monday. Let's pray. Jesus, you're a great God. You redeemed us and you cleansed us when we were stuck, when we were uh, unable to move. God, you moved. And you set us free. And you don't ask anything of us for this. You don't charge us. You set us free. And it cost you everything. Lord, you set us free from the empty ways of life that have been handed down. And more than that, you also cleansed us. You cleansed us from the stain of sins that we'd committed. From the stain of sins that have been committed against us. The, the deep shame and stigma that we, we've chosen to hide because we think that it can't get clean. Lord, you have cleansed us from that. You're a good God. You're a great God. And we're grateful to be your people. Amen.
2: Every week, every week at Discovery, we celebrate something called communion. Uh, we get to celebrate that Jesus has redeemed us. There is uh, nothing that keeps us from him or from God, and he has expiated our sin. Um, it's cleansed. There's no more shame. There is no more guilt. We are totally free because of what Jesus has done. And we celebrate something called communion. Um, on the night that Jesus uh, died, he gathered his disciples to, uh, with him and said, uh, Take this bread, which represents my body, and drink this juice, this, this wine, that represents the blood that I shed for you on the cross, that I will shed for you on the cross. And so we um, take communion. Um, there are different, four different stations around the room, uh, two in the front, two, uh, two in the middle. And just take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and uh, if uh, if we if you 're a Christian, we invite you to come and partake within that um, if you 're not a Christian, we are so glad you 're here, and we want to continue the conversation. One way on that you can do that, we can do that is uh on on top of continuing to come every week is uh, there 's uh, going to be people in the corner over here that would love to pray with you that lo- would love to. Um, answer any questions that you might have, and whether you're a believer, whether you're not a believer, we would love to invite you to the prayer corner. But uh, after you've taken some time to reflect on what Jesus has done, that he's redeemed us, that he has expiated our sin, come and uh, take the bread and the juice in your own time.
3: I think the hardest part about what Jake has taught us this morning about redemption and expiation is believing it. I think we can understand it, but to believe it. Satan loves to lie and tell us that we're not good enough, that no matter what Jesus did, that it was strong enough or powerful enough to rescue us from death. But although our shame was great, guys, Jesus is greater. So I encourage us all to believe that. Because if we believe that, then we really experience true freedom. Take a minute this morning, meet with Jesus. Ask him to help you believe what you know to be true. Like the man when his son, he knew he could heal him. And he said, Father. Help me believe despite my unbelief. Sometimes we have to pray that. Lord, I pray that you would cultivate in us a spirit of redemption, that we would live knowing that you have expiated our sins, Father. That we believe that your Son and his costly blood has redeemed us. And we have no shame.
4: One final breath He gave As heaven looked away The Son of God was made In darkness A battle in the grave The war on death was waged The power of hell forever broken the ground began to shake.
1: The storm was rolled away.
4: His perfect love could not, listen, church, could not be overcome. Now, Death, where is your sting? Our hands are